Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number two of Genesis chapter five. We're going to be looking at verse three. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. In our last study, we mentioned that this is the first age that's given by God in the Bible and it's a, a very uh, key age. It's an age that's full of spiritual meaning. 130. 10 times 13. And 13 points to the end and the number 10 to completeness. So the completeness of time, the completeness of the history of the world, the completeness of the end for all things related to this creation is in view when we see a number like 130. And again, that's why the year 1988 is so important. It was the 13,000th year of Earth's history. And we stand today, all of us, in relationship to the year 1988, much in the same way as people stood in the year 13 BC, as they were in relationship to that year from the creation. Because creation, this is something we're going to go over and spend time with, Lord willing, as we go through the genealogies, as we go through these time references, will confirm these dates. But um, creation occurred in the year 11,013 B.C. And the year 13 B.C. was the 11,000th year of Earth's history. And six years and a few months, or 2,300 days, from the year 13 B.C., the 11,000th year of Earth's history, brings you to 7 B.C., the year, a jubilee year, Jesus was born. And 2,000 years later, in the year 1988, which is the 13,000th year since 11,013 B.C., exactly, you go 2300 evening mornings from that date and it brings you to the jubilee year of 1994. Now from 7 BC when Christ was born to the cross of 33 AD was 40 calendar years, 39 actual years. And from 1994 to a date such as 2033 AD, is 40 inclusive years, 39 actual years. Now, doesn't mean Christ will come at that time, but we cannot help but notice the similarities in time concerning where, um, say, believers, people of God, would have been standing in relationship to the biblical calendar 
in the time of Christ's birth and into the early years of the New Testament age, up until 33 AD, and where we stand in relationship to the 13,000th year of Earth's history and the Jubilee year of 1994 and, and so forth. We are in a parallel position separated by 2,000 years exactly. As 13 BC identifies with 1988 and 7 BC identifies with 1994 and 33 AD identifies with 2033 AD. Each of the dates separated by an even 2,000 years. And so when we see that Joseph was given two dreams that um, made his brothers jealous and greatly troubled them, the first dream regarding 11 brethren bowing down to him, the second dream, 11 stars and the sun and the moon, 13 bowing down to him, 11 and 13. Two main focal points of God's calendar of history. And they have always been. Joseph, as a matter of fact, was the 11th son born to Jacob. And he died at age 110, 10 times 11. So, And he's a type and figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is a dream. What's his first dream? 11 brethren bowing down to him. 11, 11, 11. Because that's when Christ would first come after 11,000 years. And yet he had a second dream. 13 bowed down. And, and that, we find, is the focus of history as we lay out the biblical calendar. We, we can't help but observe and notice that it's at the point of the 13,000th year of Earth's history, the year 1988, that the church disintegrates spiritually. The church is destroyed across the face of the earth, as God said in his word, would occur at the time of the end. At the time of the end, there would be a falling away first, and before Christ came. It says in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, there will be false Christs and, and false apostles and false gospels and so forth that would multiply. And there would be an, uh, an incredible abounding in iniquity. And we see all these things, you know, let, let's face facts. When, when we happen to be the generation living on the earth in the time when men marrying men and women marrying women is not only acceptable, but encouraged and declared a good thing and a, and a wonderful moral thing, you can know you're living at the end of the world. And it so happens that these things, the, the tremendous apostasy in the church, the, um, just endless uh, multiplication of iniquity in the world are all taking place. They're all in evidence at the point when we've reached the 13,000th year of Earth's history. Coincidence? No. No, there's no such thing when it comes to the Word of God in the Bible. God knows the end from the beginning. And and so, he knew to move Joseph to dream 
very specific dreams concerning the two comings of Christ, one involving the number 11, the other involving the number 13, and God very specifically made sure that he would not appoint another seed in place of Abel until Adam was age 130. Because it's then that you lose your children and find others. And these, where did they come from? The great multitude that suddenly appear. It's then that God has another seed. All those he intended to save outside the churches and congregations. Well, all right. Now, as I mentioned before, from what I can find, uh, I'm not saying there isn't another instance in the Bible. Maybe there is. But from what I can find, the number 130 is central in four places. And and this is one here in Genesis 5, verse 3. And, and this is a very uh, significant spot for God to give us this number. It's the first date ever given in the history of the world. And it ties into the end of the world. And, and also it's given at a time that Cain has slain Abel and, and uh, the end of days reference. And we've talked about that. But there's another place. If we go to Genesis and interestingly, three of the four references where we'll find the age of 130 are in the book of Genesis. Well, the, the second time this number is seen is in Genesis chapter 11, verse 26. It says, And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And now that, that's an unusual reference because typically when a man begats someone, there's one individual said to be begotten. Here it's three. And Abram was not one of a set of triplets. So it is not the case that all three of these people mentioned, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, were born at the same time in the same year. So there is some other teaching, some other element that's involved when Terah was 70, as far as God indicating that these three were begotten at that point. In actuality, Abram was not born when Terah was 70. And we can know that because if we go down to verse 31 of Genesis 11, it says, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran, and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. So Terah is two hundred and five, and he dies. Now, if Abram were born when Terah was seventy, as uh, verse 26 of, of chapter 11 seemed to indicate, then then when Terah's 205, Abram should be 135 years old. But in the next chapter, after the death of Terah, Abram enters into 
the land of Canaan. It says in uh, Genesis 12, in verse 4, So Abram departed, as Jehovah had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Abram is seventy-five. And, and yet at this point, his father Terah is dead at the age of 205. So you can see how it's not possible for Abram to have been born when Terah was 70. That would make Abram 135. Yet, again, for some reason, God lists the three, Abram, Nahor, and Haran, that were begotten when Terah was 70, and it would have to be that one of the other brothers were begotten at that point, and then later, uh, much later, decades later, Abram was born, and, well, why would God list Abram first? It's not clear. It could be due to Abram's significance, but, um, again, or, you know, God um, hides things, and, and he likes to cloud the issue for people who are not being careful, and anyone could easily conclude terror was 70, Abram was born. And yet that would be a miscalculation. Uh, if you follow through and you look at his death age, and then Abram's age as he leaves Haran after Terah is dead, well, it's not possible that he was born when Terah was 70. Actually, since Terah dies at age 205, the implication is, that as soon as Terah died in the land of Haran, then Abram departed. He took his wife, he took Lot, his nephew, and and departed Haran at the age of 75. And so if we take Terah's age of 205 and minus 75 to give us the birth year or how old Terah was when Abram was born, we find that Terah was 130. When Terah was age 130, Abram was born. Just like when Adam is age 130, Seth was born. And so it's a similar relationship or or a similar age between Seth and Adam and between Abram and Terah. Now, uh, Mr. Camping, a long time ago, wrote in a book called Are You Ready, which was published back in 1994, that this was a picture that Tara uh, and his family lived on the other side of the flood or the other side of the promised land. And, and Tara's three sons are a figure of mankind. This is what Mr. Camping laid out in the book. And of the three sons, Abram was a child of God, whereas Nahor and Haran never made it into the promised land. Only Abram crossed over the river and into the promised land. He he departed out of Haran. And, and so Mr. Camping pointed out how that agrees with the Bible's um, figure uh, where where God relates all of mankind uh, and and breaks up 
the human race into two-thirds of natural men, unsaved individuals, and one-third that represent the elect. And of Terah's three sons, it is that one-third, two-third relationship. And, and so again, we would see that Abram is like Seth in a sense of a promised seed. And of course, Abram was a true man of God, a true child of God. And, and God has a great many wonderful things to say about him. And the family of Abram, who later becomes Abraham, the father of a great multitude. And Abram is born when his father was age 130. So we can see a relationship, although, uh, you know, because there's so much biblical history that involves Abraham, it's not as clear as the limited history between Seth and Adam that that just stands out. But we can still see that Abram, who becomes the father of a multitude, your seed will be as the stars of heaven for multitude, has relationship to the year, the end of time, because he was uh, born when when his father was age 130, and again 130, 10 times 13, the completeness of the end of, of time, the completeness of all things for this world. Well, that's that's the second place that the age 130 is in view. A third place, also in Genesis, involves Joseph and his father Jacob. If we go to Genesis 45, and here it says, beginning in verse 1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him. While Joseph made himself known unto his brethren, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And here we have this wonderful, true historical account of Joseph, uh, who, who had a troubled life. Uh, we read at this point, of course, it, it's wonderful. It, it, it's incredible 
that he is second in command to Pharaoh, yet we cannot forget that at the young age of 17, his brothers betrayed him and desired to kill him, but instead they sold him as a slave into Egypt, and he worked in Potiphar's house as a slave for some time before things got even worse. And and then Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of adultery, and in anger, Potiphar had him thrown into prison. While in prison, some of the prisoners, a butler and a baker of Pharaoh, uh, who had found fault with them or or was accusing them of certain crimes, each one had a dream, the butler and the baker, in one night, and Joseph interpreted the dream that involved three days, and then the one would be lifted up, the butler, and restored to his butlership, and the other would be put to death, the baker. And it was according to the interpretation. And the butler was restored to his butlership. Another pharaoh came into power. Joseph remained in prison until the age of 30. Now, isn't that interesting that Joseph was sold as a slave at age 17 and all those horrible things happened to him until he was age 30. And how long was it since Joseph um, was thrown into that pit from the time he came out of the prison? 13 years. There's the number 13 again. 30 minus 17 is 13. And then Pharaoh had some troubling dreams. And Pharaoh was disturbed. And he called for his wise men and his magicians to interpret the dreams, but they could not. And at that point, even though Joseph asked the butler to remember him, but the butler forgot him, but at that point, since he served Pharaoh and he heard Pharaoh had these dreams and and desperately desired an interpretation of them, that naturally... His memory was sparked, and he recalled Joseph, this Hebrew who had an uncanny ability to interpret dreams. And so Joseph was hastily called out of the dungeon and went before Pharaoh and did interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh's dreams were were twofold. They involved uh seven good ears of corn swallowed up by seven skinny ears and seven fat cows devoured by seven skinny cows and god granted joseph the ability to interpret the dream and to tell pharaoh the dream is one the seven good ears as well as the seven fat cows related to seven years of plenty and then would come what the seven thin ears and and seven skinny cows represented seven years of famine and and so it was there were seven years of plenty where they were able to harvest the ground um just just by bushels and bushels it it was a, a tremendous harvest and they stored up 
a good part of the grain against the time of famine. The famine, the seven years of famine, according to the Bible, this is not according to a theologian. It's not according to a church. It's not according to anything a man might present or reason. Uh, it, it is not a theory. It's not a possibility. But the fact is, according to the Bible, the seven years of famine represented the great tribulation that would come at the time of the end of the world. And we can say this because of what we read in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, and at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So here in Acts 7 verse 11, there was a dearth and great affliction. The two words translated great affliction are identical to the two words great tribulation as it's translated in Matthew 24. Actually, it's translated great tribulation uh, in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 7, and Matthew 24. Great tribulation. Megas is the word great. Philipsis, the word affliction or tribulation. Great tribulation. When those two words are found together, in every case, it identifies with the little season of judgment upon the churches that comes at the end of the world. It comes at the time of the end of the world. And God here is identifying the famine, the dearth that came upon the land of Egypt and and all the land of Canaan, the world of that time, with the great tribulation. And and so God himself, the writer of the Bible, the author of the scripture, is telling us that when we read of Joseph, for instance, as we did, that at a point after two years, as Joseph reveals himself to his brethren, he says, two years has the famine been in the land, and there'll be five years more. That that dividing point, that dividing point, the character of the first two years of that seven-year tribulation will be vastly different than the character of the remaining five years of that famine, that great tribulation, for the family of Jacob. Because Joseph has revealed himself, just as God revealed himself during the time of great tribulation when he opened up the scriptures. You know, Joseph is a type and figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph was hidden to Jacob and his family. They didn't know where he was. 
But Joseph certainly was not in the land of Canaan, just like Christ was not in the churches anymore. As Canaan, the land represents the corporate church. But Joseph had come out of the land of Canaan as Christ departed out of the church. And it was in the land of Egypt, Egypt representing the world, that Jacob and his family finally discover, here's Joseph, here's the Lord Jesus Christ, outside of Canaan, outside of the church, at a dividing point of the famine or the great tribulation. Well, we'll we'll have to talk about this more when we get together in our next Bible study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.